Hello, we're delighted to have a legend of the telecoms industry on the podcast this week with Joe Cunningham as our guest. Joe, along with Larry Quinn and Gilbert Little, co-founded a succession of successful telecoms companies and sold them on. These companies include Aldescon, Appian, Epona, Acris, and only sold last week, Amion. The experience that people built while working with these companies led them in turn to go on and found other companies of their own. Many of these are still with us today. Joe gives a great story of how Aldescon got into SMS business in the very early days and how this led to the start of a new $200 billion industry today. Funnily, he also tells how Aldescon helped what turned out to be later's biggest competitor build an SMSC in the early days. You can see in this fascinating story how the traits of great entrepreneurship are exhibited, such as responding to a failure with pivots, tenacity, perseverance, and a focus on building great teams and delivering great products. Finally, Joe finishes off with his thoughts on where the future opportunities are. He plays out on a really beautiful song. I know you're going to enjoy this podcast as much as we did recording it. It's a tough competitive business to drive telecom sales. But now there is a new channel that is making all the difference for innovative companies. That's the Digital Sales Channel. At Netzer, we are the leading digital sales channel provider for telecoms companies. Our customers can testify to our ability to listen and implement solutions that work for them. If you are a mobile operator, an MVNO or an eSIM provider, We'd like to understand your business issues and work with you to drive your sales. Contact pat.flynn at netzer.com and we can talk. Welcome to the podcast this week, and I'm happy to say that we probably have a legendary guest, if Joe doesn't mind me saying that, one of the most significant uh, entrepreneurs in telecoms in Europe, I'd say, over the last 20, 30 years. So it's an absolute pleasure to welcome Joe Cunningham. Thanks for coming, Joe. Brilliant to have you. And uh, just for people who may not know what I'm talking about, Joe, Larry Quinn and Gilbert Little were involved in founding a series of companies which, interesting, all began with the letter A. I'm just going to go down the list to set some, give some people an idea of what I'm talking about. They founded probably the first SMSC company in the world, Aldiscon, which became Logic Aldiscon, which was sold. They, sold, they founded Appian Technologies, which was the first significant WAP, which was an old wireless protocol technology, which was, again, sold. They founded um, Acris Networks, which was sold. They founded or involved in Appian, which was sold. It was based in Belfast. And lately, only in the last week or so, a major services company they found called Amion was sold 
to Intif in, in Germany. So, Joe, did I capture most of what you've been doing? I'm sure there's a few more things. I think that, I think that pretty much captures a, a few decades worth of work. <laughs> and that's, so let me just roll back, because we first crossed paths when, in, in Aliskan. I came out of Vodafone, which was Aircel at the time. And I was stunned when I joined Aldiscon at the energy, the creativity, and the quality of people in that company, which is um, many of those people have gone on to found other companies and do major things in the wireless industry. So what was, what was special about Aldiscon to you? You know, how did the idea come about? And, you know, maybe tell us a little bit about that. Well, so Aldiscon was really Gilbert Little's idea. So Gilbert set up uh, Aldiscon in 88, uh, he, he, I think the background really was Ireland was a was a net exporter of STEM graduates, and Gilbert saw the opportunity really to take those graduates, plus the people who had emigrated and spent some time abroad, and really begin to build teams to serve the broader telecom software industry, but from Ireland, and that's really where uh, where Aldiscan came from. Um, I met Gilbert in '89 when I was working in Nortel. He was pitching for some business that we had in my network management unit in Nortel. And um, it just ended up that I ended up leaving Nortel and joining Aldiscon. Um, I, I didn't really have any interest in the kind of work that Aldiscon was doing, which was very focused on the kind of software services work. I, I had a product background in network management. And in fact, the real story of Aldiscon is, is one of failure. So <laughs> how so? <laughs> so I, I joined Aldiscon. I, I wanted to pivot us to network management. Uh, GSM was just starting in the late 80s, early 90s. And I had this vision that we could build a network management platform to sell to the carriers and to the vendors to manage these very complex multi-vendor networks. So it seemed a, a no-brainer. And myself and Gilbert and some others spent some time on the road trying to sell that. And we, we won business with Mercury PCN in the UK in late 1990 to deliver a network management system to them. And we began working on that. We assembled a team. And for various reasons, the Mercury PCN venture collapsed, mainly because Motorola, one of the partners, couldn't supply the hardware needed. And we got thrown out as a result of that. So we had a team of engineers on our hands. We had a, a lot of knowledge about GSM but we had nothing to do with it. And um, short messaging was a, was a tiny little corner of the standards developed by... It certainly was, wasn't it? By guys like Kevin Holly and BT. So it had come out of the 80s as a... These guys had a vision that maybe there should be kind of paging type services on mobile phones, but there wasn't really much there. And we took it and we kind of ran with it. So, so March 91, we began the project. And by October we were demonstrating a short messaging system in Telecom Geneva in October, 1991. Uh, in 1991, there were no live GSM networks in companies that we know today, like uh, O2 or um, T-Mobile. These were mm -hmm. tiny little ventures. Uh, and we met a lot of their principals, a lot of their CTOs, a lot of their CEOs in Geneva. And they kind of said, well, you know, when we get our networks up and running, we might come back to you guys. To talk <laughs> <about them. laughs> and, and, and kind of the rest is history. And we, um, so we spent the next 18 months building a short messaging server. Myself, a guy called Neil Sochet, Meher and Miramadi. Uh, we put together a design and an architecture for it. And then a guy called, um, 
Kodo and Campbell assembled a team from, in fact, what were VAX VMS and COBOL programmers, and we repurposed them as Unix and C programmers, and they built the short messaging system, which we demonstrated in October. And uh, by the autumn of 92, we had a pretty uh, good initial system. There were some tenders out for short messaging systems, which we had bid on. But in fact, we hadn't won any. In fact, we'd lost the biggest tender for the four Nordic networks to a oh. company called CMG in Holland. And, <laughs> and in, order to keep, in order to keep our uh, in order to keep ourselves alive, uh, I ended up going on contract to CMG four days a week in Holland to help them to, to design their short messaging system. So I helped them design their map interface because the real secret sauce of Aldiscon in short messaging was our absolute conviction that short messaging systems should connect over signaling whereas the assumed wisdom in all the standards and everywhere else was that they should be data interfaces but our view was that the short messaging system was a peer it was a it was a message switch and it was a peer of all the other elements in the network like the hlrs and the mscs um that's i didn't so know i ended up I didn't so I ended up going to Amsterdam four days a week, uh, designing oh. CMG's uh, map interface with Yuk Trawe and those guys. Br brilliant, absolutely brilliant team. It was on VMS. We were on Unix. Uh, let, let me just let me just say for people who don't know that, um, first of all, what you just described is the start of a two hundred billion dollar industry, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and it's still going strong. And the other thing is that Logica, Logica, Aliscon, and CMG were. At each other's throats, fighting for every deal through that whole time, and ultimately they merged together in the end. But it really funny that you that the roots of the industry is connected to so few guys. And let me just say for the guys who we know in CMG and and uh, became a decision, they were top notch guys. They were really great guys. Oh no, that's what I'm saying. They were tremendous engineers. We had a different vision in terms of platforms. They were very focused on VMS because that was their background. And it ended up that they ended up with a really high performance system. We ended up using Unix because we were passionate open source people. We ended up with an extremely flexible and configurable system which you could bolt on new interfaces to really easily. And we, we were really two sides of a coin. And I suppose the other thing that I learned was competition is actually important. And sometimes you almost have to create your own competition. When we were going out in the early 90s trying to sell short messaging, we'd no foil. We, our only foil was Ericsson and Nokia and Siemens and Alcatel. And, you know, Mehra and my, my colleague in Aldisgan always said, you know, how can we ever sell against those guys? But it turned out we had a passion about messaging and about getting two-way messaging into people's hands. Ericsson and Nokia saw this as just another service platform to sell to their customers. They didn't bring that passion in. So we ended up in an industry where, yes, you're right, by 2001, we were switching billions of messages a month between ourselves and CMG. Uh, we had, the oldest gun platform had about 60% of the switched messages. The CMG platform had about... Um, maybe 20, 30% of the switch messages. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of customers, we probably had maybe 60, 40 between us. So we, we really did a really good job. And it's not that Ericsson and Nokia can't do this kind of engineering. It's just that we were very focused on yeah. open platforms and the kind of service that would be delivered to the end customer. And if there's a common theme that runs through all the A companies, it's really a focus on the end deliverable and actually getting the service right and if you look at the early days of Aldiscon, you know, we, the, the joke internally was 
you know, we were we were contracted to deliver a number of messages per second, and it was lucky if we could deliver a number of seconds per message. <laughs> <laughs> well, you certainly by the time of uh, the when I was involved as a Picasso project, and I yeah, you know, I think we I think it was an engineering um, project one time. We got to I forget what it was. 20,000 messages a second. This is back 20 years ago now. This this is pretty phenomenal. Yeah, Joe, just to re reiterate, when I started this conversation, I said I was totally impressed with the energy, skills, and the people in Aldous Gone. And what you just said there sort of gives me a clue to where that energy and passion came from. And I, I, well, It's you amazing. If you, if you look at, so if you look at the, the autumn of 1992, we were just about to shut down the messaging project because we had got no contracts. Oh. Um, we, you know, we said we'll just cut our losses. And um, Jay Murray, who was our main investor, said, well, let's not lay people off over the summer. Let's give it a couple of weeks. And within those two weeks, we got four contracts. We got one from Orange in the UK on a tandem fault tolerant Unix platform. We got one from Optus in Australia and Sydney, which was on a HP platform. We got one from Hong Kong Telecom in Hong Kong, which was on a Stratus fault uh, tolerant <laughs> platform. And we got one from Nextel in Los Angeles, which was on a HP platform. So we were in, we were on four continents. We were on three different platforms. Um, we were open systems guys, so we we felt you know Unix is Unix is Unix. You know the the lesson I suppose we learned was this was before containers and virtualization. You know those Unixes themselves were a little bit different, but more importantly, the more mainstream platforms like HP and Sun had good roadmaps in terms of kind of following Moore's law, whereas the likes of Stratus and Tandem were very much behind the curve in terms of performance. And we could never really get the kind of performance we wanted out of those platforms, you know? Yeah, so, yeah, no. Ultimately, most of the platforms ended up on HP and on HP's signaling product, uh, OpenCall. Uh, yeah. Now, what you said there, like, like most startup companies would have a hard time managing one project like that. And you had four of them in four different continents, which is, you know, actually in a way, probably the making of you. I imagine it because it brought you to those markets and people became aware of, of Aldous Gone. Uh, and so it's really, when I was there, I think the so certainly the company was over doing over 350 million and it was growing year over year. It was just a phenomenal company. And as I said, you know, you can, the, the grandchildren of that company still exist today. It's just incredible. This podcast is sponsored by Netzer, the leader in digital sales channels for telecoms. Thank you for listening to our amazing innovators tell their stories. Oh, yeah, no, we, were, we were doing, um, I think we were doing, a, we might have had a billion dollar year just in terms of HP platforms. So we were a, one of HP's largest customers in terms of the sheer amount of stuff that we bought off them. And, um, you know, by the turn of the millennium, you know, we were switching billions of messages a month on these platforms, and uh, mm -hmm. we just had to throw capacity at these things to uh, to keep up with the incredible performance that we were seeing. You know, uh, but yeah. you're right that the team were we 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 created an incredibly passionate team. Most of the best engineers, in fact, started right at the coalface, trying to keep these platforms alive, trying to work on customer sites to get them deployed to come back with that knowledge to try and improve the performance of the platform with projects like Picasso that you talked about. So, and if you look again at the, at the history of the A companies going forward, it's people who went through those experiences of being in front of a customer, 
having to explain why something wasn't working <laughs> and then going and sorting it out. That's the thing that really makes an engineer because you see what's actually going to happen. I, I remember being hauled in front of the, uh, the chief operations guy in Optus in a, the 20th story of a tower overlooking the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Absolutely stunning view and getting keel hauled because <laughs> they had promised a fish company that they could use text messaging on their to guarantee delivery of their stocks. And because our messages were getting delayed, fish was rotting. And, uh, you know, at the, one, at the one hand, you know, it was terrifying. You were getting absolutely threatened with being thrown out. But on the other hand, you had to look out the window and say, you know, we've come from a, a damp basement in Mount Street. Yeah. And we've got ourselves in a position where, you know, hundreds of thousands and ultimately millions and billions of people depend mm -hmm. on the service that we provide. So, so by 2000, we were switching more messages a second than Google was doing worldwide searches. That's the kind of transaction rates these platforms were doing, you know? Yeah, no, it was pretty amazing. And I also, I think you put your finger in it there, was the opportunity. There was, I was talking to, uh, I, I was Declan Mann, he was, uh, he's still in Dubai. He was telling me, like, he turned up on the day out of college and he was given a ticket and told to go uh, someplace and say, uh, get that customer happy, you know. More or yep. less. And, and was he wasn't the first one. We had we had people who hadn't even graduated who were with us on uh, mm. years in their courses. And we sent them out to customers to do things. And they made the best engineers they because <clears throat> they saw it at the sharp end. They showed what actual services and how it's delivered. And those guys architected in the future, you know, really high performance, <clears throat> high reliable systems because their starting point was five nines availability, you know, performance, low latency, all of those kinds of things. And that maps onto today in things like IoT and 5G, where those are absolutely fundamental components to anything that you want to deliver to customers, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think it was the makings of a lot of people because they were given the responsibility, they were given the opportunity, and they saw it. And if, if, if you take it, you know, suddenly one day you're in college, next day you're in Hong Kong, you know, and um, you have a significant uh, an unhappy customer or maybe a, a reasonably happy customer either way you have to fix something get it going and get the customer to stay with you so it's really a, a really a great learning curve for people in that position so I, I think that's what I meant by the the people you brought to the table they they really appreciate the opportunity and look where they are today yeah no and, and you know it's the I suppose another theme of our business has been that we, we we've always been people who've assembled really good teams of people together and we're not focused on the guy who got the first class honor coming out of college we're not focused on the guy who is the the you know the academic um, achiever or the guy who can necessarily write the best code and do the best interview test on coding we're looking for people who've got a passion to deliver things to customers and understand what that means and i know that sounds a bit trite but that really is the kind of focus that we have and that makes for some really interesting projects you know mm -hmm. and was that is that sort of the secret to all the a companies well let me before we get into that what's what's the real reason they all start with the letter a <laughs> uh, just <laughs> I, I suppose uh, gilbert's view was you know in 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 the days when there were phone books and trade catalogs it was always good to be up at the front. So uh, I think that's where the A companies come from, you know. At the top of the list. Yeah, very good. Yeah, no, that's, I just wanted to confirm that rumor I heard all those years ago. And of the, the other companies, I mean, which ones, do you interesting standout memories about any of them that sort of surprised you or anything? 
Well, so so Appian came from so the consulting business that Alderscom was doing when short messaging took off, you you can't really run a consulting and a product business. So we we started up a business in Belfast. Uh, a lady called Sheila Purdy put together a team, which was ultimately led by Dennis Murphy, to build a company in Belfast which would take on Alderscom services business. And when Alderscom was sold to Logica that business then morphed into focusing on um, two things really. One was to kind of do APIs for telecom platforms, but they were really a bit early in the day for that. And secondly, looking at wireless internet on mobile devices. And they became really the premier supplier of wireless application protocol of WAP. Now Mm -hmm. WAP had a very short life, but it was very important in terms of setting the stage for 3G and was. For through wireless internet on phones. So Richard McConnell and Michael Curran and Liam McQuillan, again, a fantastic team of engineers, operationally focused guys, won contracts with the likes of Vodafone as tiny little companies out of Belfast to mm. deliver their wireless internet experience. And that's why phone.com bought that business in, in 1999. Uh, but again, the services side of Appian stayed, and we renamed that Apona. And Apona took that telecom API business and really grew a tremendous business around it, which was eventually sold to Intel. And again, another team was really grown out of that. And uh, those guys really, again, showed the world how to do these kind of things in the best possible way. Um, Accurus was a business, again, Accurus was a, was a story of failure. Um, we acquired Acris from Aircom in 2001. Acris had been a kind of a joint venture between Aircom and Telia and KPN, and it was in the legal interception business of all things. Uh, we just couldn't make a business out of legal interception in Acris. But in the Logica days, in the Alderscon days, we had built a HLR, and we brought that HLR, we acquired it back from Logica, we brought it into Acris. We built a roaming platform, which originally allowed GSM phones to roam in non-GSM networks like Japan's PDC and the IS41 standards in the US. And then eventually Acuris became a business that provided roaming between cellular networks and Wi-Fi networks and was, was a very successful business there. We, uh, we sold that business last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can see again, common themes and some of the Acuris seed people again would have been people who came out of the Odescon gene pool. But again, we created then a second and a third generation of people yeah, no, absolutely. absolutely. So, like, they, they, I was just going to say what you said, Joe, was you have, you always maintain the seed for the next company coming out of the company you've sold, and usually maybe it's service focused because it's it's the skill set you're bringing, but also your stamina in carrying through. Uh, the famous thing about you know uh, entrepreneurship is you know you're you're going to meet a lot of failure um, before you get to success, but you guys had a stamina and a vision to carry it through those projects that didn't work out. To a project that did work out and it's a toughness of mind i think that yourself and your team you know built up and you know you, you'll stick at it but you've instincts to go the right way essentially yeah i think that's so and i think amion is is a a kind of a story of failure as well you know um i was i had kicked off actress and i was kind of trying to get it out of that legal interception business and uh, Ericsson approached us. Ericsson's uh, the guy who ran their messaging business, and Ericsson had been very successful in the multimedia messaging business. So they had seen our success in the text messaging business, 
and they had adopted Unix platforms and they had built their own Unix-based multi-messaging system, multi multimedia messaging system. And they sold it around the world, but in fact, they had hit a, a performance ceiling very early on because in fact, they, I suppose they weren't used to designing these kinds of platforms. So they came to us and asked us to assemble a, a kind of a red team to work at their customer sites and to work with their architecture guys to firstly sort out the customer live issues and then to work that back into the architecture. And that's where Aldous gone, that's where Amion came from. It came from really assembling a bunch of guys together who knew those open source platforms, who knew how to get the best out of those platforms and then help our customer to go forward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that was very, that was so successful that the customer eventually let us go and said, <laughs> we've sorted that out. You can go in and do your own thing. We can do it now ourselves, you know? And then yeah. I mean, moved into the digital transformation space. In other words, taking the knowledge of understanding how challenging it is to get things in operation and moving that all the way back in the life cycle to doing things like continuous integration, continuous deployment platforms right back into the software environment, you know? Yeah, no, it's an amazing story, Joe. So now you've sold your first, your fifth major company. You're you've got a pair of slippers and you have a pipe, and you're sitting back in your armchair. This this is where you're going forward to, is it? Yeah, I, I think you know. <laughs> I, I've been saying to people, you know, the, the early '90s were really exciting because we had we had a, the, two real interesting overlaps. We had GSM and Open Standards, so we had a we had a, a common standard for mobility coming around, but also that common standard, when you took the covers off, it was kind of like an open standard because you could have an Ericsson HLR and a Nokia switch and an Aldiscon SMSC. You could create these multi-vendor networks, which just worked in plug and play, which really fed into the kinds of background that we had in terms of Unix and open systems as people. And I'm feeling a similar sort of thing today. If you look at the kinds of things that are coming together, you know, virtualization, moving to containers, the ability of, of creating software very quickly, but more importantly, creating new versions of software very quickly. You know, we're moving from cycles in telcos where they were on 18 month upgrade cycles. Now they can be an 18 hour upgrade cycles. Mm. You know? And being able to do that, particularly when that software goes right out to the edge in 5G, means that it's a really interesting time for thinking of novel applications. Mm in the IoT space or whether it's in the other kinds of things that are going to be driven by totally ubiquitous high speed low latency data and I think that's a really interesting challenge for mm. me and other people to look at visions of the kind of ventures that could exploit that going forward you know yeah so Joe let me just feed back to you my feeling about it is back in the 90s the intellectual value of, of uh, intellectual property value of software was very high and somewhat unique and that's become commoditized through the years but what has happened is that the services that deliver that in, in a very complex environment have become more valuable and I'm not just talking about writing code I'm talking about the whole delivery of you know continuous development continuous deployment um would that be a fair way of putting it is that is that capturing where the value has moved yeah, I think, um, so we, in fact, in Amian, quite a number of times, we, we attempted to create the kinds of products that we created in the 90s and the 2000s in terms of, you know, products that you would sell on a licensed basis to carriers. And really, this, the, the, the world has moved, you're entirely right, into services. 
So it's really into subject matter expertise. In other words, bringing a bunch of people together who are experts in the subject and using modern tools to then deliver applications around that subject matter expertise. Uh, it just so happens that Amiens subject matter expertise was in all the plumbing underneath that to allow those people to become their best. So we, we delivered platforms that allowed thousands of developers to do what they did best and make sure that that could deliver to their customers. And that's, that's still a really interesting space. They're both the, the kind of delivery pipeline side, but also then levering the, leveraging those pipelines to get yourself in a position where you can very quickly deliver value to end customers. And I think that's where things are moving. So um, um, I, th I think it's an exciting time. You know? Yeah, so there are, there are no slippers or pipe, as I made a joke about earlier. Yeah, and not yet, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, it's been brilliant uh, to have you. And it's, uh, to be honest, an absolute uh, pleasure to have you on board and, and hear this. You've, you've told me some stories that I wasn't aware of, and I, I've been around this industry for a while. And on this podcast, the guest gets to nominate the playout song. So I'm very interested to hear what you're thinking of. So, so Time of Your Life by Green Day was my choice. I think oh, wow. um, I, I've had the privilege to always work at something that I love. And I'd advise anybody, whether they're picking a college course or picking a job, to try and pick something that they love. So that's one reason. And the second is, uh, I know a little boy who nailed this tune on his guitar and uh, basket case as well. And uh, he was thrilled with himself. So. Great, brilliant. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Pat. Another turning point, a fork stuck in the road. Time grabs you by the wrist, directs you where to go. So make the best of this test and don't ask why It's not a question but a lesson learned in time It's something unpredictable but in the end is right I hope you had the time of your life So take the photographs and still frames in your mind Hanging on a shelf in good health and good time Tattoos and memories and dead skin on trial For what it's worth, it was worth all the while It's something unpredictable, but in the end it's right I hope you had the time of your life But in the end it's right I hope you had the time of your life It's something unpredictable But in the end it's right I hope you had the time of your life